Welcome back, people. Jose Nino here with another thought-provoking episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Jim Bovard. How are you today, Jim? Doing good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I appreciate that. So you're quite prolific in your writings. Your work has been featured in outlets such as like the Mises Institute, the American Conservative, and like the New York Post, among others. Could you tell my audience more about yourself? Well, I've been, uh, I'm a journalist. I've been throwing rocks at the government for a long time. I've also written for Playboy and Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, a bunch of other places. I've written 10 books. I've been denounced by a dozen federal agency chiefs and cabinet secretaries, including the chief of the FBI. So, uh, it's always good to have those. Uh, a badge of honor. Yeah. So it's a hoot. And I'm still here. What the hell? <laughs> That's what truly counts. Now, your work has definitely focused on the FBI, which is a particularly germane topic right now because the FBI's raid of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence is the talk of the town at the moment. And what are your initial thoughts about this incident? Well, I'm looking forward to learn more about why the feds did what they did. I think it will help a great deal if we can see the affidavit the FBI submitted to the federal magistrate to get the search warrant. It's funny that the Justice Department is uh, talking about transparency and rule of law, but apparently Americans don't have a right to understand why the FBI launched a raid on the former president's house. And it wasn't like they were stopping a, a robbery in progress. It wasn't like they were doing child sacrifice in that house. It appears to be a dispute over documents. And uh, I'm certainly not going to uh, vouch to say I, I can't imagine Donald Trump would ever do anything wrong. Now, I don't know what Trump did, but I do know that the FBI and the Justice Department have a long history of using, uh, of weaponizing federal law to go against people who the uh, current administration doesn't like. And so I'm looking forward to hear more about why the FBI did this. It's been appalling to me to see how, how much of the media is working so hard to spin this that they're trying to say, well, it wasn't a raid. They were just executing a search warrant. You know, there was a bunch of former FBI dudes and ladies on the cable channels, and they're all saying, well, you know, it's, it's an insult to the FBI. Look, there are photos of the FBI agents standing outside the entrance to Mar-a-Lago holding automatic weapons, okay? You know, if you get photographed holding an automatic weapon, it's a raid. No doubt. Now, in light of this entire incident, You'll hear this trope among a lot of mainstream conservatives and the pundit class in that space saying that the FBI has now been politicized, keyword now, as if like the FBI has recently gone rogue. But based on your decades-long work of exposing the FBI and the rest of the U.S.'s domestic security apparatus, What's the main flaw with this view of the FBI? It is illiterate, if not dishonest, uh, because it's, you know, it's basically pre pretending there was a, uh, 
uh, fairy tale time when the uh, federal agencies obeyed the law and, and the presidents did not seize too much power. There was, you know, the people have said for a long time that the name Justice Department is an oxymoron. And if you look at what the FBI has done ever since it was created by a, a grand nephew of Bonaparte back in 1908, they have violated the law on a regular basis. They've, they've trampled the Constitution, and they've, for a long time, they effectively ruled by fear. There was a, a congressman uh, from uh, Baton Rouge who was talking about how there was so much fear on Capitol Hill from uh, the uh, uh, in 1971, so much fear of the FBI that the Congress would not pull in the reins on the agency. And I don't know if that's the case now, but there's Senator Grassley, who's done a great job of oversight. There's a few others, but I mean, it was amazing to me to see the uh, sea change uh, once Donald Trump became president of so many liberals and Democrats all of a sudden thinking, uh, basically seeing the uh, FBI as a force for salvation, as opposed to being a threat to the Constitution and their civil liberties. Yeah, that is like an interesting development. And it's kind of like part of like that so-called political realignment you're seeing among like Republicans, where they're taking on like more of like a working class middle American base. And they're at least making like rhetorical gestures towards being against administrative state, while Democrats have become much more sympathetic to a lot of these like security agencies and all of that. But now, the FBI has a pretty long history of infiltrating various political organizations throughout its existence, and they tend to be pretty diverse in terms of like the ideology. And based on your research, what ideological groups did the FBI tend to disproportionately target in its operations? Well, if you look at a lot of the history, it was they were targeting leftists, socialists, communists. They certainly targeted a lot of black groups, civil rights groups. They also went after the anti-war groups very heavy. After the, there were a lot of FBI programs that were exposed in 1971, thanks to people who burglarized an FBI office outside of Philadelphia and then sent their files to the Washington Post and other papers. It's sad that Congress and the federal courts were such a miserable failure at oversight that they had to rely on burglars to find out what the FBI was doing. I mean, folks wonder why I'm cynical. So, But uh, nowadays, I think with the Biden emphasis, there's probably a lot more focus on um, folks who say they're part of a militia, but a lot of those militia groups are government fronts pulling strings. You know, we saw that with the Whitmer case, Governor Whitmer kidnapping BS. I was given a talk last year to the Maryland Libertarian Party. And, you know, I was trying to bring home to folks that, you know, look, libertarians are in the crosshair. I think it was former CIA chief John Brennan who was talking about how how the federal surveillance apparatus would be going after groups like libertarians. And that's something that people need to take seriously. So, are there examples of libertarian groups that have been infiltrated by the FBI or harassed by them? Well, there's certainly ones that have been harassed. Uh, if memory serves, there was a case out of Arizona in 1996 uh, where the um, maybe a dozen or maybe a little less guys who were kind of 
libertarian, conservative, uh, militia types. Um, I don't entirely recall. It's something that Ernie Hancock is the expert on. And uh, there was uh, there was a decent guy who was, you know, nonviolent, got sent to prison. And Ernie would go and visit him, I think, at least once or twice a month. So Ernie's got the inside story in that. I'm sure there's other groups being targeted right now. And there's a lot more media hostility towards libertarians than there was 10 years ago. Maybe because, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a bunch of different reasons on that. Yeah. What would you say has made like the corporate press more hostile to libertarians now as opposed to like 10 years ago? I think I think part of it is that you've got more people who have risen to the uh, top in the corporate press who are just practically blindly pro-government. And even libertarians who are kind of not, you know, outspoken. I mean, there's still a basic challenge to the idea that government should have unlimited power over us. That's the whole idea behind uh, the libertarians. And, you know, there's there's a lot of folks who are who are pro-government who almost think that's a uh, heresy. I mean, I've, I've certainly had had that response before. I mean, I've had uh, people condemning me for causing the Oklahoma City bombing because I wrote about the government lies and abuses at Waco. And it's like, hey, I've never even been to Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty wild stuff. Now, going back to some of the leftist groups that the FBI has targeted, there was this recent case, I think it was like the early this month with regards to this black nationalist, I think it was like an international socialist group in Florida that supposedly had ties to like Russia. Do you know much about that case? No, no. I mean, that's something which I saw the headlines and I, you know, it made me, well, I was skeptical in the case because uh, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, from the little bit that I read about it, I wonder if it's now considered a, a federal crime I mean, it's interesting if you flash back, you know, Donald Trump is being investigated for espionage violations. And that was back. Uh, that goes back to Woodrow Wilson. And how that law was enforced is if there was, you know, during World War One, uh, if someone said anything good about the Kaiser, boom, they were charged. They would be thrown in prison. I mean, it was complete trampling of the First Amendment. And I hope we're not going to have the same kind of situation in this country if someone says uh, uh, someone fails to support the uh, government in Kiev because there's been a lot of hysteria on that war, and it's uh, it's it's been more of a Pandora's box already in this country than most people realize. Yeah, that, it seems that that function has been outsourced to the private sector, namely big tech, for the time being. But if they had their way, like a lot of people would probably. Uh, a lot of these like government agencies would probably be cracking down on it more in the U.S. It, I've seen it from like the stuff that I've covered as far as like the Russo-Ukrainian conflict is concerned. It seems to be much more prevalent. That kind of censorship is taking place more in Europe. And that's for like pretty obvious reasons, given that that area doesn't have as like, robust of a free speech tradition. And like the state can definitely get away with more of that stuff. I agree. In, yeah. In the US. I mean, but, but, you know, it's interesting. I, I think I saw a headline on Zero Hedge today or yesterday saying that the uh, one of the interior ministers in the German state, uh, Nord Rhine Westphalia, was uh, saying that people that protested the higher energy prices or inflation were enemies of the state. And so I'm thinking, you know, they're going to have a lot of enemies of the state there in Germany 
because uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, because that entire economy is just getting uh, devastated by the um, policies uh, that are being uh, put in place because of the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Oh yeah, they're basically like imposing the like Morgenthau plan on themselves, like because of like those. Uh, energy policies are pursuing and it was even funnier too i think it was like a, f- a few months ago like there was like one state like in germany that was like proposed like banning the letter z yeah that's a great point about them imposing the morgenthau plan on themselves i mean uh, most americans might not recall that that was a plan that the truman administration talked about and maybe did for a little while where they're basically trying to wreck all of german industry and and uh, basically turned Germany into a pastoral land that would could never support half the population living there. And if they starved, well, you know, it happens. Yeah, there was like definitely some really like weird people in that FDR uh, Roosevelt. Uh, I mean, the FDR uh, Truman administration from like Harry Dexter White to to Henry Morgenthau when it came to like the punitive measures that they wanted like to impose on like the German people afterwards. But that's like a whole nother can of worms there yes yes now of all of the fbi like domestic crackdowns that you've researched which stuck out to you as the most egregious in terms of violations of civil liberties and direct harm inflict on innocent individuals well it's hard to pick a winner certainly if you had if you think of it as like waco where you've got the fbi uh, uh, besieging people who were previously attacked by federal ATF agents who were executing a no-knock warrant that they didn't show the Davidians before they started shooting, and then you got the and then the FBI comes up the tanks, knocks down twenty percent of the building on top of the women and children and men who were still in there. FBI is firing pyrotechnic devices at the building towards the building. You know they lied about that for six years. And then it finally came out, and Jana Reno says, I'm very upset that I was lied to. And I, and I was thinking, well, not half as much as I am, you know, after all your lies I've written about. She had a line, you know, it's interesting to try to capture the mindset of Washington. It's something I try to do in articles. And uh, Janet Reno was summoned the, um, in 1995, the, the Republicans had recaptured control of the House, and she was summoned to a House hearing to talk about Waco. And she was being pushed by a congressman about the uh, about approving the use of tanks against uh, American citizens. And she said, well, you know, I didn't think of them as military weapons. You know, I thought of them more like a good rent-a-car. And shit, I was the only journalist who picked up on that and wrote about it. And, you know, I wanted to put in a headline. The editor said, no. But, I mean, you know, tanks is rent-a-cars. This is, this is what it's come down to in this country. It's horrible. Oh, yeah, that's a horrific. Now, at that time, what was the Republican response to the Waco in- incident? Was it actually principled or did they take like a partisan stance like against it that really just fell flat? Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a split decision. There were some members of Congress who were very good. There was a guy from uh, Florida, the chairman of the House Government Op Committee. He was actually quite good. Uh, there were some other um, people that were good. There were lots of, you know, it was the kind of thing where in a uh, hearing in the House of Representatives, it was a round robin kind of thing where each member would, of the committees would get five minutes to ask questions. A lot of the Republicans spent most of their time talking about how they loved law enforcement. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was even more bizarre with the Democrats. Schumer was uh, the uh, point person for the uh, Democrats, and he was just sneering at anybody who didn't believe the FBI. And they were, you know, they were basically trying to paint anybody who was critical of the FBI as, well, you know, you're supporter of David Koresh, and maybe you also are a child abuser. So, you know, it was a great example of total vilification, preemptive vilification of anybody who who doesn't buy the latest storyline. And, and the government changed their storyline a lot of times on Waco, but but each, each new storyline was supposed to be treated like it was sacrosanct. Oh, indeed. Yeah, that incident is definitely like a blemish, and it also like refutes this one trope you hear a lot that this can't happen here it, like in the US that you that you'll hear people say across like the liberal like neocon spectrum but yep more people need to know more about uh, the Waco massacre now yeah I want to go to the democrats now because one of like the most bizarre developments in the last decade is like the Democratic Party's reverence of towards the FBI and like CIA and other domestic security slash intelligence agencies. What do you think explains this weird trend of Democrats worshiping the intelligence community now? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure a big part of it was that the agencies, the intelligence agencies, a number of the law enforcement agencies were doing everything that they could, violating a lot of laws, to, uh, first to try and defeat Donald Trump in 2016, and then to cripple Trump once he became president. And so uh, there was a huge amount of partisan support. There were these these protests downtown that I would go to every now and, and photograph, and there was this middle-aged woman who was kind of stalking, and she was, um, you know, she was wearing a hockey jersey, but it said Team Mueller. Bob Mueller, the former uh, FBI chief. And it was like, oh, God, you know, it's and these are the kind of people who prior to 9-11 might have been out protesting against the FBI. But I actually they didn't say much about Waco. I mean, there was you know, there were some liberal groups that were good on Waco. There were a, a number of gun rights groups that were very good on Waco, gun owners of America, especially NRA was on the right side of the fence on this. I think uh, I maybe the whole time there was a uh, uh, Neil Knox was a powerhouse in the NRA. He was still alive back then, and he was uh, he was a firebrand. But I think it especially changed starting in 2016 because the FBI was uh, a very partisan organization. I did a number of stories for USA Today editorial uh, uh, op-ed page about the Inspector General reports that showed. The FBI probably breaking the law that, you know, let to uh, whitewash Hillary Clinton and the extreme bias in those investigations. I mean, you know, they basically even stopped trying to make it look honest. But, uh, you know, this this is how law enforcement works, especially when you've got a lot of political pressure and you've got a lot, a lot of political animals. And there's such a lack of integrity to so many of the discussions about the FBI's power. Because, you know, the, the example I mentioned earlier you got so many of these, you know, former FBI folks setting the uh, storyline on cable news. It wasn't a raid. It was a, an authorized search. You know, this is something which should not pass the laugh test. And people should be ashamed to make those kind of arguments in public. 
I guess it's not a, it's, it wasn't a raid since the FBI didn't kill five people. If they killed five people, they'd say, yeah, well, it was a raid, but all of them deserved to get it. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Typical Orwellian sleight of hand right there. Now, something that's even more interesting, and this is going back to a point I mentioned about like Republicans, you are seeing this interesting development unfold where several Republicans are calling for like the defunding or even the abolition of the FBI. This is especially true in the more America first populist faction of the party. How serious do you take this anti-FBI sentiment among Republicans? And will it manifest itself into like something meaningful or will it just be another promising cause that the GOP establishment co-ops and eventually defangs? Well, I, uh, there's a couple of variables on this. One is whether the, the Republicans can capture control of both houses of the uh, Congress. The second is is what comes out from the uh, FBI raid on uh, Mar-a-Lago. I'm looking forward to see that affidavit. I hope the judge cracks the whip and gets the feds to say, okay, and uh, you know doesn't doesn't withhold everything in the search in, in the affidavit aside from the address of Mar-a-Lago. But um, it's going to turn part of what's changed now and over the last year is I think there are FBI whistleblowers who are coming forward to uh, Capitol Hill. And this is something which could potentially be explosive. Um, you know, I don't know if anything is going to come out of it. But if you see how the FBI investigations into the uh, parents who protested at school board meetings, I mean, the, uh, you know, the Justice Department FBI was talking about treating the parents like they were terrorists. And um, that was implied. And then you got Merrick Garland going to the Hill and testifying, oh, we would never do that. Then uh, a month later, you got FBI agents going, you know, whistleblowers talking to uh, some of the top Republicans in, in the House and like, whoa, it has blown up their story. So if that trend continues, I think the FBI has gotten away with just a bizarre amount of secrecy. It's been tolerated and you really can't reconcile that amount of secrecy and that amount of power with uh, the rule of law. Uh, thus far, what kind of information have these whistleblowers at the FBI divulged? Well, the thing we've probably heard most about is the, those whistleblowers exposing that the FBI was using terrorist-type tags to classify its investigation of parents who protested at school board meetings. This is understandably um, alarming but what a lot of people don't realize is if you talk to an FBI agent, you're putting yourself in grave danger. Part of what the FBI does is it does not make recordings of the interviews it does. And instead, later on, an FBI agent sits down and writes up a memo, which is called a Form 302, and then file that. And then the FBI decides to charge you with making a false statement. It's there in the memo. Well, uh, John Smith said this on August 14th. Well, what's the evidence? Well, it's in the FBI memo. And a lot of judges have been very deferential to that. Uh, juries are becoming a lot less so. I mean, the FBI has lost some very high-profile trials, basically because juries felt that they were lying. Uh, and part of it was that the FBI, unlike 
many, if not most, police uh, departments, law enforcement agencies at this point, doesn't make recordings when it interrogates people, when it gets a confession. No, you just got an FBI agent writing a memo, and it's supposed to be treated like the voice of God. When you mentioned juries, are you referring to like jury nullification or just juries ruling against like the FBI, like verdicts and all of that? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly sure of the uh, breadth of the definition of nullification, but if you look at the uh, the case in Orlando, the uh, Pulse nightclub shooting, the guy who did that a couple years later, the FBI de- decided his widow knew about it and uh, charged her with being accessory, had a whole bunch of charges. And so the FBI uh, takes her in and interrogates her for 17 hours without a lawyer. And they were really browbeating her. They were threatening to take uh, us. She had a baby that was, I guess, less than two years old. And the FBI was threatening to take custody of the baby if she didn't confess. Well, she eventually signed the confession the FBI wrote. And the FBI was so proud. We won. Here it is. We'll take it to the jury. We'll take it in court. The defense lawyers quickly shot that to pieces because it had a number of false statements and contradictions in the uh, so-called confession that the FBI wrote up and pressured the the widow to sign. The uh, jury found her not guilty. You had a similar situation uh, with the Michigan Whitmer kidnapping case. Uh, You had this Huge uproar of three weeks, whatever, before the 2020 presidential election. FBI announces, oh, my God, we stopped this plot by a bunch of Trump supporters, basically, to kidnap the governor of Michigan and take her out in the middle of Lake Michigan and put her on trial. The plot never made any sense. And a jury, uh, I guess, in March or April found um, there were four people charged. The, The jury found two of them not guilty. There was a mistrial on the other two. I think the trial for those other other two is ongoing. But the uh, jury, you know, that jury in the Michigan case earlier this year sat there, listened to the FBI. The judge slanted the hell out of the case because he prevented the defense lawyers from presenting a lot of the evidence of federal misconduct. But there was still enough there for the jury to call BS on the government. Mm, fascinating stuff. Now, you mentioned one point that about like the FBI's jousting with with former President Trump throughout his administration, did he even bother to try to weaken the FBI? Because I noticed that one trend throughout Trump's administration, and say what you want about it, is that he had a tendency of always nominating people that would undermine him from within, whether it's like, John Bolton, Mike Pompeo types that would just like cement like the neoconservative status quo and even like putting people like Jared Kushner in to maintain a lot of like the mass migration uh, agenda. Did he do anything meaningful to try to rein the FBI in? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, he certainly made a lot of speeches and, uh, you know, he probably did quite a few tweets he made a most unfortunate choice for the FBI director. I mean, he made a big deal out of firing James Comey. And then for Comey's replacement, he chose a protege of Comey, someone who worked closely and worked under Comey for many years. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, th- this is going to be a real deal, a, uh, a deal changer. So um, 
Uh, Trump may have done more on this than I'm aware of. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I was following other things most of the time during the Trump administration, but there are a lot of things that Trump could have done to um, make the FBI and other federal law enforcement agencies less perilous to our rights and freedoms. I think he probably did very little, if any of that. In some ways, he probably made it worse. Now, overall, do you believe that this so-called rise of right-wing populism slash America first has any prospect of bringing these unaccountable agencies to heel? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was I was looking at the uh, um, looking at the schedule for the National Conservatism Conservatism Summit. I guess they're having their third one down in Florida in a couple of weeks. And I was I was looking at the uh, list of speakers and they're having a panel on the American Constitution. So who are they having talk about the American Constitution, what it means? Hmm. Who are they featuring there? Well, one name jumped out at me, John Yu. Oh, Lord. Wow. Lord is right. Yes. I mean, John Yu is the author of the torture memo that the, uh, you know, that the Bush White House used to justify totally subverting the federal law and the Constitution. The essence of the torture memo was a was that criminal law could not constrain the president's power during wartime. And this is a worldwide war, so on and so forth. John Yu even wrote that that the president had the right to uh, to declare martial law on his own authority because, you know, these damn terrorists are everywhere. I think if memory serves, the example he gave is, uh, you know, that the that it would be justified to use military to attack an apartment building if the government here in the U.S., if the government thought that there there were terrorists there. I mean, hell, the U.S., I mean, the same thing happened a lot in Baghdad and other places, but you start doing that in Brooklyn, you know, I think some folks might say, you know, maybe maybe the government's going too far this time. But no, it's, it's I, don't, I don't know a great deal about uh, what their potential is, but if that's their standard for the for the Constitution, someone who says who, who is who's explicitly said the president is above the law, it's like, well, what exactly system are you trying to bring in here? Yeah, one one figure that I found promising that conference is going to be featured there was Paul Gottfried. I, I believe he's like a speaker there, but I don't know if he's a high profile speaker because he's generally been ignored by a lot of conservative outlets over the years, but he's more of like the exception rather than the rule because a lot of that national conservative movement, it's very iffy to say the least. It kind of reminds me of a lot of iterations of like the conservative movement, otherwise like taking legitimate dissident energy and co-opting it into these causes that just empower the political establishment within the Republican Party. It certainly could work out that way. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, there's, it's interesting. There, a lot of conservatives are just have a great deal of animosity towards libertarians now. Very different than the Reagan era when there was more sense of uh, building a coalition. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much conservatives learned from the failures of the Trump administration. I mean, uh, there was, there was a lot of stuff done by the FBI. I think some of the intelligence agencies. And other things that were that um, unfairly and, and illegally sought to undermine the Trump agenda 
Flip side is uh, Donald Trump had so many blunders. John Bolton, you mentioned earlier, Christopher Ray, a lot of his appointments, I think, were just proven to be disasters. And there were a lot of areas uh, of federal policy which he could have made a lot better, and he didn't. Yep. Many such cases. Now, to wrap things up, in your view, what do you think are the best avenues going forward to delegitimizing and subsequently getting like the defunding and or abolition of like the FBI and similar institutions as like a political reality in the U.S.? I don't know, but uh, something which is certainly can hurt was uh, would be for more people to uh, pay attention to the actual what the agencies are actually doing, including some journalists, it could happen. You know, folks, it would help if there are judges and Congress and whistleblowers who let us know a whole lot more about what the FBI has done. There was a major backlash in the 1970s after those files leaked out from COINTELPRO, after the church committee in the Senate exposed a lot of FBI abuses, NCIA and other abuses. I think there's something like, something like that could at least temporarily, at least, curb some of their power. And it's necessary to wake folks up. But here's the other side. I mean, if you see see how the, um, I, I think I saw a poll that 19, uh, 2018, 77% of Democrats uh, uh, said they approved of the FBI. It's sort of like there's no cure for servility. And if folks are going to rush to bow down to a federal agency then it's going to be really difficult to put a leash on that agency. And, it's, you know, it's not just liberals. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of conservatives had the same mindset decades earlier. The roles were slightly reversed. I mean, except a lot of conservatives were still praising the FBI, except when they were trying, uh, overtly trying to sabotage Trump. So I don't know. It's, um, I wish I was more optimistic about finding a cure for this, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I've missed, and maybe something good will come out of the uh, current mess. Jim Bovard, everyone. And before we depart, Jim, promote your content to my listeners. Okay. Well, I've got, um, as I mentioned, 10 books. Uh, JimBovard.com is my uh, main website. As I've got links to the books, links to the recent articles. I've got a blog. I'm on Twitter, Jim Bovard. And, uh, you know, I hope if people look at the stuff that I've written that they get some laughs because I try like hell to make policy entertaining. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.